a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 87, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin for cover date, September 1978, featuring Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur issues number six. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics. This is from the um, this is from the feed that feeds short episodes about each month of Marvel's Cosmic books and goes step by step in each episode. And then I put these all together in one great big long episode that goes on the main feed. But if you're listening to this feed right now, you don't care about the main feed unless. You do care about it, and you just like both of them. I don't know. It gets complicated. I'm trying to figure out how to clean it up, make it less complicated. Don't know if it's possible, and don't care. I'm just going to keep on doing what I need to do, whether it's easy or not, and try and make things as easy as possible for people who are listening. <laughs> that's that's really the part I care about. So um, welcome. I'm Ben. Ben Avery, a comic book writer, comic book reader, comic book collector, and comic book... Uh, podcaster, <laughs> which is what I'm here to do right now. So the purpose of Ben's bullpen bulletin is to basically cap off every month. And the way I do this is by, first of all, um, looking at books that are related to things that might be discussed in Marvel's cosmic comics, but aren't necessarily a part of, um, well, aren't necessarily a part of any license licensing deals. But also maybe they are part of a licensing deal, but I you know, I don't feel like I can talk about it for 15 to, to 20 minutes um, or um, it's just some other little random thing that I found that has to do with this month that I found to be interesting. And so part of that is Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur, and those are related to way back when when this podcast started, I started with one of the first things before we even got into Star Wars, was 2001, the great big oversized movie adaptation by Jack Kirby. And that's why Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur are both being discussed in Ben's Bullpen Bulletin, because they both, to me, feel like spiritual successors to that 2001 book. Because that 2001 book dealt with, well, first of all, that's where Machine Man was created the first appearance of machine man was in 2001 a space odyssey by jack kirby that's where he created the character he created the character to come in contact with the space baby and the monolith and um in the original series with 2001 basically anything primitive or futuristic that came into contact with them that meant it was another step in their development and that was part of what made machine man be set apart from the other machines that were part of the same, you know, model, uh, that he was built, built from, um, 
that book got canceled at issue number 10, and now we are here at issue number six of the book that is just Machine Man, which was probably a, a good thing to do considering they didn't have to pay any licensing fees for calling it 2001 because they, when they were called it 2001, it was, they were licensing the book. So here Jack Kirby gets to kind of take those Machine Man ideas that he wanted to run with and just go ahead and run with them. Uh, Devil Dinosaur is another spiritual successor because of the way Jack Kirby spent time looking at these kind of warlike primitive cultures that were just, you know, on the cusp of, say, developing uh, metalwork or things like that. And so here with Devil Dinosaur, he has this cave boy and his dog. Well, the cave boy is is Moon Boy and his dog is a t-rex that has been burned and has been turned red and is called devil dinosaur and they both have this valley that they live in and they've been just you know they travel a valley and, and deal with things that, that pop up and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the next issues of that and then we'll take a look in the book itself and take a look at some of the ads and stuff that they had in there and then the other thing we'll do is we will take a look at uh, what else was on this the spinner rack from marvel and if there's anything interesting from other companies as well like when you know i I believe gold key is still publishing star trek which i i did not realize they took that license for that long the movie's coming soon the motion picture i should say and that means star trek comics are coming soon i'm kind of excited about that so let's get started um, by taking a look at Machine Man. And Machine Man's issue today, you know, it it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst. It was basically a great big fight scene between him and a robot that is called upon a fleet of more robots to come and invade the Earth. And <laughs> it, well... Let's get into this here, because the whole idea behind Machine Man is that Machine Man is fighting to protect people who don't understand him, or he is fighting to get away from people who are trying to kill him. And he's also, while he's doing all this, going through existential crises, 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 he's having an existential crisis repeatedly. How's that? <laughs> That's the way to to avoid the the plural noun there. And he so he's being chased by the army and they even like they they stop a fight with him and and the bad guy earlier and take the bad guy's side. Now the bad guy has called upon a fleet of more of those bad guys. And so throughout the whole thing, you know, it does play up it plays up the race angle where machine man is basically um, I mean, they really play it up. Uh, he gets in a taxi cab with an African-American driver and he gets some good advice from the guy, but they really, you know, by doing so, um, they, they really play up the idea that machine man's rejection by humanity is basically, it's a sci-fi metaphorical racism. And, you know, on the one hand, it works because it gets me thinking about those things. And I wouldn't have necessarily thought of them, you know, sitting down to read this comic. I wasn't planning to, to think about those things. Now, there is a lot going on in society right now that we are thinking about these things and, and possibly more, possibly less than we have in the past. But there are plenty of things going on in the United States and, and around the world to get us thinking about race, 
uh, and and racism and, and and all the stuff that goes along with that. Um, but then you come across, you know, a, a story that gets you thinking about it and maybe in a different way or just gets you thinking about it at a time when you weren't expecting to think about it. And that's what this did. Um, Jack Kirby, he's not one for subtlety. Let's put it that way. And that's a good thing when it comes down to the art and the fights and the stuff like that. Um, but the whole idea is, you know, Machine Man doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to protect. He doesn't care about protecting the world from the fleet that's coming. And in the end, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end. You know, if you're going to read Machine Man, you've, you've had your uh, 40 years <laughs> to, to do so. But um, they defeat the alien fleet by basically turning 10-4, the bad guy, into a bomb. And they send him up to where the fleet is going to be. And the fleet is approaching the Earth. And then he blows up. And it destroys the fleet. It's too late. you know. And, and so across the Earth, they can see the blowing up ships in the sky. He's just saved the world. But then it says, next, will the people save the hero who saved the people? It's America versus Machine Man. And, you know, it, Ray Bradbury does this. Where you can tell when Ray Bradbury writes a story where he's dealing with things like this, the social issues that are going on, you can tell that some of the stories that he's writing are him as a middle class or upper class, I'm not sure how rich he was, a white person, dealing with seeing people who are not his race and not his uh, economic class but trying to work through like what can he do or trying to work through just what is what should society be doing jack kirby's doing the same thing but i'll just say this jack kirby is no ray bradbury he's just not now jack kirby has a much more um energetic and powerful art style than ray bradbury but uh yeah ray bradbury's got jack kirby beat when it comes down to um subtle and sophisticated and thoughtful storytelling Jack Kirby, it's muscular artwork, not subtle with theme, but he's doing it, you know, and, and, and that's the thing is you, you got to appreciate what he's doing and how he's doing it. Uh, I just wish some of the, the, the racial correlations, the one-to-one -one between this white-skinned robot um, dealing with, you know, being rejected by society i it just doesn't feel right in some ways to me and and it's from a different time though i mean this is from a time you know in the late 70s and they have some of the same problems especially on the racial front there's a lot of the same problems going on now that were then you know, i hope we're getting better and i'm sure that we are in many ways but um yeah it's just it's not subtle enough let's put it that way and uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, this book, by the way, was edited, written and drawn by Jack Kirby. I mean, he is th there's no um, it feels to me like there's no uh, oversight. And maybe that's the problem is and I've talked about this before, but maybe if there was other people with their hands in the pot who were maybe helping to guide him along, maybe it would have been better, more more subtle or or whatever. But um it's not. Now, there is it's edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby that says embellished by Mike Royer. I wonder if he was inking this. I'm not sure. This feels like 
from what I know, from what I've seen, and I'm not a Jack Kirby expert by any stretch of the imagination. This is my first real time to dig and dive in deep to the Jack Kirby-ness of a Jack Kirby comic. Um, but it feels like what I've seen before. And so if uh, Mike Royer is inking this, then he's doing a great job. Uh, it was colored by R. Goldberg. And then it, said, it does say Jim Shooter is consulting editor. Uh, for this issue number six, which is called Quick Trick. Not Quick Kick for you G.I. Joe fans, but Quick Trick. Now, Devil Dinosaur issue number six. That is a continuation of the uh, story from before where aliens came and Devil Dinosaur, uh, Moon Boy, was captured by them. Devil Dinosaur has made two new friends and then he has caused a giant anthill to be destroyed and sent the ants scurrying towards the aliens. Now, I've talked a little bit about how there is some biblical uh, allusions and stuff going on in here. And this one goes even further because this one has, I mean, the title of this story is just simply called Eve. Now it's E-E-V, but you say E-E-V the same way, the same way you say E-V-E. It's Eve. And then you look at the cover and it's Devil Dinosaur number six. And you've got this man cave guy and this woman cave lady. Uh, and it says, driven by fear and fire, man, woman, and monster flee the valley, the fall. Okay. I mean, can you get, can you get more heavy handed in your biblical allusions than to call your comic, you know, to, to call it out on the front, uh, the fall. And then to name one of the characters Eve. Now the character they've named is this just brutal, tough lady. I mean, she is, she is awesome. And she's fighting the ants along with, um, the two, uh, the two older men. Um, now one is really old. He is all white. We've got a white beard covered in white fur. The other one is covered in dark fur. Uh, Eve, now I'm reading a reprint, so I do not know what this looked like in the original artwork. She has a green tone to her fur, and I don't know if that's just to differentiate her from the other ones or if it's meant to be like more gray and it's just kind of coming out as a green. Uh, I'm not sure, but here she is, you know, and they're, they're fighting the ants that they've sent out against the aliens. The, the ants are actually going to the alien ship where Moonboy is... Uh, they're getting ready to do some experimentation. I don't know if they're going to do any probing. I, I hope they're not, but they're they're definitely going to do some some work on him. But the ants come through, and the ants get into everything as they do. They get all over everyone, which boy, this is in some ways a little bit of a nightmare to me. <laughs> not quite, but a little bit. I remember going out to the bus stop as a as a little Benji Avery, little four year old. Uh, getting ready for, you know, waiting at the, for the, the bus stop for, for my kindergarten bus, you know, that little tiny bus that would take me to half day kindergarten. And an ant started walking up my leg and I freaked out. I have a, it's a very, very vivid memory. And so as I'm reading the comic and I'm seeing these ants all over the aliens and I'm just like, oh man, just one freaked me out. But, you know, these are aliens and great big, giant, cool exoskeletons. Now, Moonboy does escape the alien ship thing blows up and is destroyed but he can't find devil dinosaur and the reason he can't find devil dinosaur is because devil dinosaur when the base blew up moon boy didn't come out immediately and so devil dinosaur slinked off he was sad and so uh 
now we have three sets of people. Well, not really sets because one of them is, is Moon Boy, who's just waiting in the rain. He's he's found a cave where he's keeping warm. But um, then you have Eve. You have Stonehand, who is the the younger male of of the two, and then you have the old one. And they are going along their way, and then Devil Dinosaur is off doing something. Now, here's where we're getting even more into that kind of sci-fi Adam and Eve kind of thing. And that's where we have this uh, prime computer thing. And it I was trying to remember, like, as I'm reading along, why did I think that this reminds me of a tree, like the tree in the Garden of Eden? Why? As I'm reading it, it doesn't seem like it should until I got to the end. Now, first of all, Stonehand and uh, Eve and, and the old guy, they're headed in the direction toward this tower this computer tower basically is a giant computer tower and it's talking and stuff and it orders them to come closer and again i'm thinking well, why am i thinking in my mind that this is like the you know the tree in the garden of eden which is where you know adam and eve eat the fruit which wasn't an apple but it was a you know the, the one forbidden fruit and then I get to the end. I realize why, because it says coming soon or coming danger, danger from the demon tree. <laughs> and so they're being called to this, this me mechanical uh, computerized tower that is called the demon tree. And so I'm pretty sure in the next issue, there is going to be even more, uh, you know, of this kind of pseudo biblical allegory kind of thing going on here. And so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but that's that's Devil Dinosaur and Machine Man this month. And you know what? I, I enjoy them both. But um, I enjoy Devil Dinosaur because it has the opportunity to get more gonzo, let's put it. Uh, Machine Man has Jack Kirby trying to say something sociologically, let's say. Devil Dinosaur might be getting into some of that. I mean... When you start using things like this, where you're you're making these allusions to things from the Bible, you're usually going to be doing so because you're making some form of statement about them. Either this is a good thing, or this is a bad thing, or this is a bad thing that's being used for good, or it's a good thing that's being used for. I mean, you're using those ideas and you're you're referencing those things because you're making commentary on it. I mean, really, when you reference anything, you're kind of making commentary on it. Now, sometimes you might just be referencing it and your commentary is, hey, we all know this thing and now I'm referencing it. So look at me. <laughs> so um, I think Kirby is trying to say something with Devil Dinosaur, but with Devil Dinosaur, he is also letting himself just kind of cut loose, draw dinosaurs, draw great big fiery action scenes and stuff like that. And with machine man, he's doing this. I mean, he's not, he, he's not discontinuing the Jack Kirby-ness of being Jack Kirby, but he is kind of pulling back on some of the weird wild gonzo stuff so that he can get into this character who is just really, you know, just ambivalent about life. You know, he doesn't, Maybe he cares, maybe he doesn't. He doesn't know if he should care. And he gets kind of pushed into it by outer forces, but he's also got these other outer forces that are kind of trying to hold him back. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's X-Men, you know, it's, it's uh, Howard the Duck trapped in a world he never made, you know, that kind of thing. It's not unusual. Um, and I'm sure that there's even things 
specifically using robot characters in a situation like this. But um, the Machine Man stuff just isn't getting me as pumped up as, well, as 2001 did and as Devil Dinosaur is. So um, looking at the uh, the books themselves, the the issues with, with the, um, some of the ads and stuff, there is a lot of the... Um, well, I, I call them uh, flea market pages. A, a lot of those. There's a uh, ad for um, the Bad News Bears go to Japan, which I never got to watch the Bad News Bears. I still haven't watched the Bad News Bears. And but back when I was a kid, it was because there was language or something. I, I don't remember. Uh, I just remember hearing that there was just lots of bad language in there, so we weren't going to see it. Uh, and then there's the, the ad for grit and the ad for um, prizes or cash from Olympic Sales Club. So those two sales things. Uh, more Slim Jim, but this time it's drawn by the same artist who was doing the Dracula thing and the Wolfman thing. But it's two kids wearing, you know, what remind me of like a summer camp shirt. But um, and they're there with their dog, you know, and it's an ad where basically you can get that shirt. Uh, Slim Jim Meat Snacks shirt. Like, that's what it says. Slim Jim Meat Snacks. Uh, everybody loves Icy, including this uh, bear who is also trying to get you to buy Icy uh, merchandise, including a T-shirt. So there's there's two T-shirts from this magazine alone. An ad to be a skilled locksmith. There's two ads for um, strong arms or you know, mu muscle building. Um, the one literally says strong arms. That's the, the primary thing you see there. Make all the difference. And then free booklet. See your muscles grow day by day. So there's there's those two things. Yeah, classic, really cliche uh, of comic book ads. There's a Daisy 840 ad for a Daisy Rifle, a BB gun. I've never had a BB gun, but I've always wanted one. Uh, then there's more t-shirts this time you can get uh, amazing spider-man thor captain america howard the duck hulk fantastic four red sonia <laughs> conan and silver surfer but there is an asterisk next next to the red sonia t-shirt and it says sorry kids adult sizes only on red sonia she's just too hot to handle and you know i'm okay with not selling kid sizes of the shirt with the bikini clad um, barbarian woman. Um, I just think it's kind of funny that it's that's in there. And then if we get into the um, the actual bullpen bulletin, let me find that it is. It's uh, focusing on the Beatles story for Marvel Super Special number four, which I'm not going to uh, cover. And, and the truth of it is um it just it's a pricing thing. I can't afford it. Don't uh, it's not that important to me to to really try and and pull in. Um there's also uh the Mar Mighty Marvel Superheroes Fun Book number 3 and I remember seeing those at the barber shop and they would have a couple comics and that would be one of them and I pick it up and all the mazes were done and all the, you know, the crossword puzzles or whatever but um yeah <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's what's going on. I mean, it's there's not not a lot of totally new stuff, not a lot of real exciting stuff. There's a nice full page ad for the X Men that's coming. That uh, they're on sale monthly now, or again, I should say, with Chris Claremont and and John Byrne. Um, another 
advertisement for getting a subscription to Pizzazz, which still looking at it, I don't understand what they're trying to do with Pizzazz. They're trying to sell it as being energetic and funny and stuff, but their ads are just horrible. This one just has in large letters, whew, and then it says, putting out a super issue of Pizzazz every month is hard work. The least you can do is subscribe. Okay, that's a little bit funny. But to me, as a kid, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to think that that's funny enough to make me say, oh, I bet that magazine is funny. Then in small print, that's right, creating a zingy magazine that's fun, dramatic, and exciting is far from easy. Doing it month after month is even tougher. We need all the encouragement we can get. It's chock full of games, comics, sports, superheroes, and humor. <laughs> we need all the encouragement we can get. That says to me, Okay, it was edgy up there. The least you can do is subscribe. You know, that's kind of like the, you know, subscribe to my magazine or I'll shoot this puppy. But then, oh, we need all the encouragement we can get. Oh, we're sad sacks. I mean, just, I don't get it. Now, they have these tiny black and white pictures of the covers. And you can kind of make out that one has R2-D2 and C-3PO on the cover. That's what should be. (laughs) Put it. Make us see the big picture of this, you know, there's a skateboarder on one, but I can't see anything other than this vague shape. There's someone who looks like he's got a leopard. No, that's actually a leopard. I don't know what that is. And this other one, you can't even tell. It's just a bunch of like lines and there's a star in there and maybe some people. Guys, guys, if if I could use this time machine to actually change time, when I go back in time to pick up these books, uh, if I could use this time machine to do so and actually maybe help you with, with some of your vision here for what you're doing with your publications, I, I would, I, I can't, but um, they really need to revamp and someone, yeah, it's that, well, it's the, the Jerry Seinfeld, who is a marketing genius who thought of this one. I mean, really, they need a marketing genius. So um, when I went back in time to go and pick up these these comics, there were other books on the shelf, of course, uh, at the drug shop that I went to to, to buy these comics. Because uh, I went back in time, of course, to July, or not July, June of 1978. That's when these hit the stands. And looking at the, the comic book rack... Um, or, you know, you at home could do what I'm, of course, not doing, which is to look at the uh, um, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, <laughs> where you can actually, you know, see so much information, so much information about um, just when comics were released, w- when they were on the shelf, and and, uh, and then also um, the, the teams behind them. Uh, speaking of teams, I don't think I mentioned for... Uh, for Devil Dinosaur, I better do that. But I know it was Jack Kirby, of course. Yeah, Jack Kirby edited, wrote, and drew, embellished by Mike Royer again, colored by Petra Goldberg, same person from from before, and then consulting editor Jim Sh- Jim Shooter. We've got a good team going on here. Uh, anyway, uh, looking at the shelf, some other things of interest to people who are interested in the sci-fi licensing and that kind of thing is there are still a ton of the Hanna Barbera comics um, being put out by Marvel, and then you also have uh, Gold Key doing Disney, and I, I, well, I think Warner Brothers or whoever with uh, you know Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes and that sort of thing. Um, and then you also Gold Key is still publishing Twilight Zone. This month they're on issue number eighty six of Twilight Zone, 
And I'm really, really curious. It can't be as good as I would want it to be in my head. That's probably the one thing that's kept me from trying to collect old Twilight Zone comics. Um, but they also were still publishing Star Trek. They were on issue number 54. I mean, think about that. Now, the Gold Key comics, the Gold Key Star Trek comics are incredible. Uh, some of them are incredible just in the way that they are so not Star Trek. And some of them just are great examples of, you know, um, late 60s and 70s uh, short sci-fi. It's it's fun. I really enjoy those those comics. Um, beyond that, not not a lot. Uh, on the on the cover of Crazy, you have uh, Kiss. And then there's a famous Monsters of Filmland number 146 that had uh, the cover was Jaws versus Ape, and this cover, man, um, it's I I I think it's referencing maybe uh, King Kong. I'm not sure, but it has a big old shark getting ready to eat a lady uh, who's in the water, and then you have this ape on its tail, just holding it like it's trying to hold it back and and fight the thing. And I mentioned Star Wars, of course, on the cover as well. Um, so yeah, uh, this is. The, I mean, the other things of interest. There, there's one thing of interest in me was that there's Service Number Four came out, and I really think that that's uh, just interesting because that's when Service was starting. I mean, that's a long, long time ago, and you finished it with. Uh, uh, 300 issues, 300 issues. So that's that for this month. And, uh, yeah, I came back. So I go podcast about it. I'm going to go back now to, uh, July, 1978 and come back with, a well, a handful of books with a cover date of October, 1978. And I talked about this when I did October, 1977, I always loved getting comics that had October as the cover date because that was my birthday month and it just even now when i pick up a comic if it says october on it i think oh october especially if there's a uh, something that i think we might have one where it's october and then it's issue 16 that's my birthday october 16 i yeah you know, it's little things like that but i'm sure i'm not the only one i'm sure i'm not the only one i hope i'm not the only one <laughs> so hey i just want to say now uh thank you for listening and um I'm going to play a promo at the end. Normally the promos I play are podcasts that I listen to. This one is a podcast I listen to, but it's also a podcast that I've been a part of. And so I do want you to, I hope you would check it out. It should be possibly relevant to your interests. So again, thank you for listening. And until next time, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time.
everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. The Action Comics Weekly podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted, <laughs> Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's, that's not my DC Comics. That's not super heroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like, you know, the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a Dead Man story. It starts to be a Dead Man story. It forgets it's a Dead Man story, and then it comes back to being one, um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton, as we discuss Blackhawk that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm -hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that, tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details.